The Talk Shop. This is the talk shop on SAFM 104-107. I am Masichaba Mdolo, wrapping up uh, with our mover and shaker, Amugelani Maimele, founder of Zera, a youth-led development agency focusing on socio-economic development in fragile states. Just before the break, I was asking about young people and charters and policies. What, what are they saying? Are, are they still open to sitting around and, and dialoguing over what this charter says and how to bring it about and, and make it come alive? Um, young people actually don't want to talk like they're tired because it's been talks. It's been so many years of talks. It, now they want to go out and implement and it's about action. And even this conference that we're having, it's solution orientated. It's not so much about talking. We, we're doing the charter, the activities now. We're going around, like this Saturday we're going to be in Grahamstown um, at Rhodes University, so we're going around now and, and discussing the charter, but when we get to the conference we're discussing solutions and we're going to agree on one thing that we're all going to go do together as one around Africa in our respective countries. And, and how do you mobilize youth who will be going through to the, um, uh, the summit in Tanzania? Are we talking here about youth formations? And are, peop- are young people still part of these youth formations? Are these political youth formations, NGOs? No, this is um, change agents. It's individual change agents like I am and people who have started projects in their different countries. And those people are easy to find these days because of social media, mm-hmm. and that's where we find them. And the message, messages usually do go around young people, so we do have that network of togetherness. Tell us about your dream of Africa. What do you see? <laughs> I see, I really see a united Africa, but not united. You know when you say united Africa, people... Not United <laughs> States of Africa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people usually, like, they just throw you into, like, oh, you Gaddafi kind of person. <laughs> but not that kind of an Africa, uh, of a united Africa where there's one government, but a united Africa where we're united in, in business, where we're united in health. Because the same problem that affects us here, it affects them in South Sudan. It affects them uh, everywhere else. So we need to be united. When, when, when South Sudan can't find a solution for education, we need to help them find that solution because they're still a part of us, very much a part of us. Um, so I see that kind of un- unity amongst um, Africans and African people where we work together, um, where we can rely on one another, where you, you know that if you you safe, uh, you safe around Africa if something goes wrong, you safe around South Africa if something goes wrong in your, in your country and people are not going to say you're not from here because if you check in reality, um, those those borders, they just cut through a border where the one tribe was like, it's the same tribe, but now they fall in different countries. And that's, those are some of the reasons why we're having these problems. But the moment we realize that we actually are one and we need to be helping each other. And that's what I see. I see a united Africa. And how do you respond to those who say, yeah, but that's a dream, Amu. It's lovely, but it's a dream. How long has Africa been mired in these particular problems? How long have we seen leaders that start out as revolutionaries and somewhere along the way, become part of the bureaucracy that looks at, uh, you know, not, not feeding the people on the continent, uh, mm. not worrying about uh, building infrastructure, but about keeping themselves in power. I actually feel sorry for them <laughs> and when, they, when they say that and they start talking like that because for me, um, okay, I'm, I am an idealist, so, uh, but for me it's almost like, are you actually willing to circle with everybody else who believes that it can't be done, done actually go try it and see if it maybe can be done and um, what if you don't fail 
that's always going to be the question, what if you don't fail? Mm-hmm. And it, instead, people would rather say, answer the what if we fail. Mm-hmm. But I want to answer what if we don't. And we succeed. Mm. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm seeing this vision of yours. It's looking <laughs> absolutely stunning. How did you, um, Zaira, come about? Uh, Zaira was, um, I, it was I, I just jumped into it by default. I was tired because there's political organizations in the country and then they're like, oh, yeah, if you want to provide solutions, go to branch level. You go there and you never heard or there's never meeting or there's always other problems. So I came across call for papers. I didn't even know what they were, the, what that was because I studied accounting, so there's no call for papers kind of thing. So I just came across it, so I decided to write a paper. Mm-hmm. And then after I wrote that paper, it was about building better livelihoods in um, in Africa because that's what I wanted to, that's what I've been learning more about. Mm-hmm. So that was, it was more about food security until I found out, oh, you can't, we can't have, pe- we can't have food security until we have peace. So I decided that, okay, I'm going to dedicate my life to actually working on the peace part and others will work on the food security but should we address this then we'll address the, the food security and I, I was thinking so hard how can I do this, how can I do this so I wrote a conference paper um, that was addressing exactly that and that's when I decided that I'm not going to publish this I've presented it and I said I'm not going to publish this because there's so much academic work I'm actually going to turn my own conference paper my own solutions I'm going to go out and implement them mm-hmm. and that's how Sarah came about and I was like asking myself what can I call the solutions and I was like but what is it and then I discovered that it's a seed I want to plant because I can only do so much in my life in, in my lifetime um, I won't I might not live long enough to see what I want to see but to plant that seed which is going to grow into that uh, what I want to see and so I came across, and as I was looking what seed is, I came across a Hebrew name, Zera, which means seed, mm-hmm. but then in Sahil it means blossom, and I'm like, this is perfect. I want a seed that's going to blossom. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got SMSs coming in. Here's one that says, uh, uh, this comes in from Ketelo Kulu, says, to solve our African problems, we need young people to stand up and act on pressing issues. We can't expect other people to solve our problems. That's coming in from Ketelo Kulu. Another one, um, uh, Edi Maduna says, I'm from the University of Forte, and uh, University of Forte will be 100 years in 2016. We're privileged to host Zera here and to meet other vibrant young people. Thank you. That's coming in from Edima Donet Forte. Mm-hmm. Another SMS. Uh, this one says, uh, unfortunately, many organizations and personalities working to better our societies are driven by issues of territorialism and you see uh, petty politics coming in, egos, um, and uh, that's why we are experiencing this top-down approach. Um, Tell us about this, this concern coming in that, you know, and, and it's all well and good. We see amazing initiatives being started, but the egos come into play. Um, you know, people wanting to, 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 to keep their territories, so to, to, so to speak, their ideas, their initiatives to themselves, also becoming a bit of a problem. Uh, okay. Uh, the thing is, with, uh, I think it's a principle of capitalism mm-hmm. as well, where competition, the back in the days, competition was just the key thing. You need to keep this yourself because competition is tied up there. But we do have now, um, things are changing. Even the business world, um, with social entrepreneur being a new field, a new aspect where we kind of realizing that they, they can be collaboration and not necessarily competition because competition is something else. And with social entrepreneur, 
entrepreneurship, you're basically looking for solutions. So you measure impact and profits. So there will be no need. Impact will be greater if we combine power mm-hmm. than profits because people who have gone into this have realized that we do need the profits to make it sustainable. But that's not our target. That's not our main focus. We're still going to do it anyway, whether the profits are there or not. Yes. So it's about banding together. It's about banding it's together. It's not a competition yeah. at all. It's, it's collaboration. Not about my idea. It's collaboration this time and not competition. And that, that's uh, what you were talking about earlier on about the shared vision. Yes. That if you all share this vision, yeah. then it isn't an issue of who brought it to the fore to begin with. Yes. Who takes initiative about it is the most important part. I'm Wigelani Maimele, founder of Zera, a youth-led development agency focusing on socio-economic development in fragile states. She's done amazing work across the continent, and we've just uh, touched on the tip of the iceberg. Before we let you go, just tell us quickly about Inkulu Freehead. Am I saying it correctly? Yeah, Inkulu Freehead. <laughs> <laughs> Inkulu Freehead is um, it's an organization started by um, Eric Dereda and Susan Pofu, Susan Pofu Walsh, and um, they invited me to be director and a few other amazing, amazing young people from South Africa. And it's about our democracy. Uh, we need to take initiative. This is our future. Um, we see people circling around the same issues and making everything political. We're here to say that um, how, how do we define freedom in our days? How do we define democracy in our days? And we're taking it out there. We're having these conversations with, with, with people who are like-minded and, and um, we're thinking as well that the Freedom Charter, the Freedom Charter was um, as much as everybody sings about it in this country, but it was a one-day event that happened so many, so long time ago, and it did not take into account things like globalization, and we like thinking, how do we make it relevant today? Where, where do we fit in? And things like that. So that's and before you old foggy start saying, hey, why not a one-day event? <laughs> this is a youth perspective about ensuring that the Freedom Charter lives on in the context of young people yes. today, and the challenges facing the world, not yes. just other, but the world today. Yes. So that's the perspective. And taking into account what has happened, the recession, the globalization, all that, how how do we still make it relevant? Because sometimes, like I usually say that everything evolves with time. Mm -hmm. Like you become a day older every day. How do we not want systems to change? How do we not want things to evolve with us when we do evolve? Thank you so much for coming through. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I look forward to chatting with you in the build-up to the uh, African Charter Summit in Tanzania in July. Mm -hmm. So we'll definitely be having a lot of discussions around June, mobilizing young people across uh, the continent and and, and getting other young people in terms of uh, the community work that they're doing in -hmm. their different countries to come through and talk about their vision for Africa. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm dreaming with you. Thank I'll you. tell you that. <laughs> I'm dreaming with you. I see this dream and I'm on board. I'm Gelani the founding director of a youth-led development agency, Zera, joining us in the studio. I love young people and I know, I know, you know, my producer is always saying to me, amazing. Yes, an amazing young person. <laughs> and every time I speak to these young people, I think the future is bright. It is absolutely bright. We all need shades because these young people are going to turn the world around. Thank you so much for coming through, ma'am. Thank you for having me. We continue talking to dynamic young people. Up next is motivational speaker, Vusi Tembegwayo, and we're going to be talking about personal branding and emotional intelligence right here on The Talk Shop. In the Saturday play this week, the final part of Under the Skin, Jerry Mufuken in conversation with Gertrude Shaw. I don't know the answers to your questions. You do. 
And you won't tell us. I'll give you some time to think, huh? Hey. So now just remain there. Hey. You didn't think of running? Of course, you can't run away. From the sixth floor. From the sixth floor. Oh, oh, okay. Go and stand by that At window. At one stage, he said I must stand next look to a now, window. Look now, I stood next to this window. Stand there and look at the view. And when I come back, you'll tell me the truth. Say you got truth, huh? Won't you? Wow, Mutimwaka. But I'm pulling up a tuba. I stood next to this window. Oh, there was a beautiful car park. I recall. Don't miss Under the Skim, the final part of Jerry Mufuking in conversation with Gertrude Shope this Saturday evening, just after the 7 o'clock news. The Talk Shop. This is the talk shop on SAFM 104 to 107. I am Masa Chaba Mdolo. Uh, had an amazing conversation with Amuve Nshega Amugelani Maimele, founder of Zera. And don't you love it that when I'm talking to young people, all of a sudden I'm not an old foggy. You know, I'm one of them. And then when, <laughs> when we're talking about the challenges we're facing in our country, it's like, yeah, you know what? We are old foggies. We must just accept it and give the youth. Space. Give the youth the opportunity to engage with us. You will. You never know what will come out. We're talking now about personal branding and emotional intelligence. We're keeping the young people firmly in the spotlight. Vusi Tembegwayo, a motivational speaker, well-known motivational speaker, joining us in the studio to talk about EQ and personal branding. Good evening to you, Vusi, and thank you so much for joining us. Hello, ma'am. Us. How do you do? Very well, thank you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you with us, eventually. 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 Thank you for having Thank you for having me. Personal branding. Yes. What exactly is that? It's your personal narrative in the simplest way. So personal branding really centers around how it is you create a narrative that speaks about you just by people having an understanding of who you are without you having said a word. And that's a mouthful. But it, 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 it emulates and speaks about several aspects of your life. So it talks about how you dress. It talks about how you present yourself, how well you speak. It talks about the extent to which you can develop relationships with people and manage those relationships. Um, and, and, more, and more importantly, it talks about um, what it is that people will say about you in your absence. It that sounds, is your personal brand. It sounds very superficial, like on the outside, you know, what mm. people see, mm. how you dress. Mm. I mean, one cannot know my values. Yes. One cannot know um, my belief system, yes. what drives me, yes. unless they, they build a relationship with me. Yes. So, so yeah. uh, uh, does it go beyond just... Uh, Walking into a room and the impression that you make. Yeah, I think I think the wardrobe, which is what it's become in in latter day, for for no other reason other than most people who work in that space are quite lazy. So you know you find. Let me put it to you this way, and I say this with the greatest of respect. And, and people who know me know that I call a spade. I love young people. Tell these old fogies. You find stylists <laughs> who call themselves personal brand artists, mm-hmm. but actually you just dress people. If you're walking into my wardrobe and telling me what color I should associate with what, that's not personal branding. Personal branding says let. let Let's, let's, let's start first at the essence of who you are. So who are you, where do you come from, and what are you about? Okay, great. And what are the parts of your life 
through which you you emulate those those things. So if 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 you're about feeding back, giving other people, if you're about development and business, then what are the parts of your life through which you you speak those things out? All right, fantastic. Now, how do you look the part about the things that you've already spoken about? So it's not just look, dress nice, look good, mm-hmm. go to meetings, speak mm-hmm. the Queen's English, yes. blah blah. Yes. You can go to design court, have nice meetings there. That's not personal branding. That, as I say, that's styling. And so there are people who work in the in the space where they style values, but that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is how you understand yourself how you understand the essence of who you are and how you communicate the essence of who you are. So for somebody like me, it, it's, it's far-reaching. It's, it's what's happening in my social media space. It's what's happening in my website. It's the relationships I have with agencies around the world. The fact that I get booked internationally more than I work here is because I've got a great personal brand in the parts of the world within which I work. But I nurture that personal brand. I feed that personal brand. And that's not about how I look. It's, it's everything people say about who you are when you're not in the room. Do I need to worry about my personal brand if I'm not on um, a world stage, so to speak? If mm. I'm not the CEO of a company, if I'm not the face of that company, if I'm not even the face of that department, do I really need to be worrying about my personal branding? Everybody who's, everybody who's ambitious needs to worry about their personal brand. And I say everybody who's ambitious, because if perchance you're one of those people who is not, and you are happy with where you are, and you don't want to move beyond your mediocrity, then no, you don't. Stay where you are. But if you're somebody of substance and you want to leave a legacy behind, and I'd like to believe that's the overwhelming majority of people, then you do need to worry about your personal brand. My mother has the most amazing personal brand. My mother. My mother was uh, you know, a lay worker for many years, then a cleaner, then a clerk, and now a receptionist, but the most amazing personal brand. If you walk into my mother's organization and you listen to what people say about her, you go to the community and you listen to what people say about her, that's a part of her personal brand. And she's taken time to develop it. So what we've done, those of us who speak the Queen's English, is we've taken personal brand and we've reduced it to nothing more than, well, what are you doing on your Twitter and your Facebook and, 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 and. And it has little to do with that. It has everything to do with when I walk into the spaces that you occupy and I talk to the people with whom you converse, the people with whom you have relationships, what is the legacy that you've left behind? What are they saying about you? What is the impact that you've had? What is your personal brand? And uh, how does one communicate this uh, personal brand, um, especially in terms of when one is required to speak in front of maybe even one person, their, you know, um, their community leader, if one is required to speak in front of the employees, if one is uh, uh, required to speak in, in front of, of masses, how does one communicate this personal branding in that little time? Yeah, so that's an interesting one. Um, and as you know, I'm a four-time world champion public speaker, so I've really built my living. Yeah, I've really mm. built my living on... That's why on I was like, can't we get this guy? He's on billboards, for goodness sake. On the highway, there's his face. So you must, can we not get this guy into the studio? So, so, you, must, you, so, so you must listen, because next week I'm running radio ads, and some are going to be running on SFM. Um, but that, that, again, is my personal brand. Nobody else in my business does that. I do that. But maybe just to take a step back around the question mm. you asked is, so I'm, I'm given this opportunity of to speak to a group of young people or I'm going to be speaking at my company conference only for five minutes. How do I develop my personal brand in that space? Well, the the truth is that you don't. You've developed your personal brand before that because what you've done is you've communicated with people, you've had lasting relationships, you've you've left an imprint that is the essence of who you are. 
at the point at which you start to speak, the question you need to be asking yourself is, what is going to be my narrative? Uh, that's a big word, but we need to break it down. What is going to be my narrative? How am I going to na- narrate my personal brand? So if, if I'm a comedian, my narrative will be very humorous, very comical. If I'm a business person, it will be, be very technocratic, very technical, very formal. And if I'm simply a, like this young lady, this amazing young, young lady you just had on, I'm somebody who's driven by passion, then I really want to speak from the essence, my heart. I want to speak from, from the stuff that's warm and fuzzy. And I want to tell you about the impact we're making around the world and human issues and peace and, 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 and. So that's how you communicate it. It really is around the funnel, the vehicle you choose to use in communicating what you want to communicate. And I need to make this clear. If you're technocratic, you're technical, then you're operating in a very cold, in a very cold clinical space. That's not bad. It's just your personal brand. When I go to shareholders' meetings, I don't want my CEO to sound warm and fuzzy. I want him to be cold, clear, and clinical because that, for me, is the personal brand of the organization. But if I'm talking to somebody that I want to have a relationship with, somebody I want to relate to on a more personal level, then I look for different things. Mm-hmm. And how do I know? I, you know, it's all well and good for Vosi to tell you, okay, exploit the technocrat element, mm. exploit the woman fuzzy feeling element. Mm. How do I know as a Mugelani or as a Maschaba? I'm going to be speaking to young people. I need to now, you know, um, communicate this vision that I have of an Africa that is united, an Africa that is strong, mm. an Africa that goes against all the stereotypes that we've grown up with, with that we've come to associate with this continent. How do I know where to pitch my talk with them? Well, the, 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 the most important part in, in any platform of public speaking is knowing your audience. More important than preparing, more important than preparing yourself, more important than getting ready, than writing your speech and and, is knowing your audience. That's really, really important. Uh, and that, that's important because it informs the ex- way you pitch yourself. Mm-hmm. But w- once you've got that and it's informed you, w- what, what is really, really key and important is, is always to be sure on the, on, on the imagery that's the word you want to leave behind. So I'll give you an example. This morning I'm speaking to, um, I was in Cape Town, speaking to the executive leadership of PEPCO. And some of the wealthiest people in this country happen to run that organization. My pitching was at a particular level. Yesterday I was in Cape Town speaking to the top 40 CAs under the age of 40. My pitching was at a certain level. The day before that I was doing something else. So w- what is important is to understand whom you're speaking to mm-hmm. and where to peg yourself. If perchance, as I am later on, uh, in fact, early next week, I'm speaking to a group of young people who are disabled but who are phenomenal, you better believe my pitching is going to be different, and so too is my content. So when you start talking around public speaking, what's more important than the point you want to make, and if if nothing else, I really want the the, the listeners to, to hear this, what's more important than the point you want to make is the vehicle you use in making that point. What is going to be your narrative, your vehicle? In other words, if you want to communicate to people that we live in an Africa that is amazing, that is beautiful, that is imbued with possibility, an Africa that is embedded with cultures and rich with traditions, with people who see possibility where others don't, with people who dare to go against the curve, then the vehicle you want to be choosing is one of hope. Um, a vehicle of people who've conquered and you might want to use personal stories of people who've done that that's my vehicle but if I'm speaking to my boss at the office and trying to convince him to let me on a particular project then we're not going to be doing the story fuzzy stuff what we are going to be doing is using empirical evidence and data so I've got to research I've got to find out what's happened around the world and I've got to come to him with empirical evidence because that's what he's going to base his decision on so the outcome you want is driven the point you want to make the outcome you want is driven by the vehicle you use. Most people know what they want to say. 
they just choose the wrong vehicle in doing that. Um, and there's some examples, and, and if I may, allow me to be slightly controversial without naming names. Go ahead. There are people today who've become known for, uh, you know, this conspicuous spending. Um, uh, and, and one or two of them have now come into the limelight, and they're known for eating rather exotic foods of people's bodies. But the messaging therein is, well, so you can conquer. You can come out of a difficult situation, and you can conquer. But the narrative you've chosen might be slightly distasteful to some South Africans. It might be, well, I'm spending, I'm flashy, I am, I am. Mm-hmm. Versus a narrative that says, I, I am going to um, uh, shine light on parts of my life where I give back. I want to shine light on the successes of my business. I want to shine light on acquisitions that we're making and the successes that our businesses are, are, is having. I want to shine light on the employees that we, we have in the organization, where they come from, and the fact that we're giving back to the community mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. Then you communicate the same message, but you're using a different vehicle. So very important for people to realize in building your personal brand is if you want to say something, and you're doing it every day, by the way. Every day you're going to work, every time you're having an interaction with someone, you are saying something. What is the vehicle you're using in mm-hmm. saying what you want to say? So in order for me to decide on the vehicle that I'll be using, it goes back to knowing my audience. Yes. Yes, very obviously important. what will appeal to someone who thinks it's absolutely cool and wonderful to be eating exotic foods off <laughs> human bodies <laughs> is not going to appeal to somebody else Spot in a on. different Part of life and, 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 and experiences. Spot on. Because they come from a different perspective. So you, you, you'll then have a trade unionist who says that's insensitive to the overwhelming majority of the people that are poor. You, you understand what I'm saying? Because Absolutely. he's coming from a, d- a certain perspective. And, and obviously I would need some kind of savvy, some kind of, of knowledge, some kind of intelligence, so to speak, in yes. order to suss this out. Yes. Let's talk about emotional intelligence. Yes. We've, we've spoken about IQ. Yes. EQ has become a buzzword. Yes. Is there really such a thing? Yeah, there is. Um, it's, it's the intuitive factor, uh, really. So, it's, so you walk into a room. Let me put it to you this way. What is, a lot of people say, what is emotional intelligence? The simplest definition. It's knowing, it's knowing the temperature of the room outside your own body. That's it. If you're in a room with 10 people, it's understanding what is the temperature of this room at this moment. What's everybody feeling? What are they thinking? What's going on in their heads? So it's the intuitive factor. Uh, and, and yes, certainly certain people are born with it and are given it to a larger extent than others. But it's something we can learn to develop. The most important part of learning to develop your EQ is something that took me a long time to do. And that's shutting up and listening. <laughs> so you, you, can't, you can't be intuitive if you're not listening. You've got to spend the time listening attentively to what's being said, what's going on, and listening and thinking critically about what's being said. And then you've got to come from a perspective where you're empathetic, so where, where you're listening from the person's perspective who's making the point. Perhaps I would put it to you, our country's deepest challenge right now is that we've, we've almost lost our sense of empathy. It's become a they in us. It's become a black and white issue. It, we've become an incredibly polarized society. And there are those of us who work in the margin to say, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can come back and we can be empathetic. We can listen and we can engage with other people. Um, an amazing story. I heard an amazing story this, this morning. A man who was running his own organization, an engineering business in the town from which I come in Benoni. And for many years, he employed um, the same lady who was his tea lady. For many, many years. And for over 38 years, he never knew where she came from. He never met her kids. He never. He... One day, it dawned on him. This person has been serving me tea for 38 years. Every day, three times a day, no questions. She knows my tea, she knows my family, my kids. I share all my stories with her, but I couldn't even tell you which direction she takes going home. Mm -hmm. He got in his big fancy Mercedes, he took her home, and he met her family. 
Now, what you do with those kind of gestures is you begin to develop your own emotional intelligence. The intuitive factor that when the next day the person walks into your office and says, sorry, I was late because of my kid was sick, or, 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 you want to have a context to understand why that situation exists. Personal branding and emotional intelligence are the issues on the table. Our guest is Vusi Tendaguayo, well-known international motivational speaker, taking us through exactly what EQ is and the importance of personal branding. We continue with him right after the news with Greg Khams. The Talk Show. This is the talk shop on SAFM 104 to 107. I am Masitaba Mdolo talking to motivational speaker Vusi Tembewayo. We're talking about personal branding and emotional intelligence. We're still exploring what exactly emotional intelligence is. You say that it's, it's empathy. It's reaching out to the humanness of another person. Spot on. Despite your social level, despite your economic level. It's 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 it, it. It is your ability to adjust yourself to the other person's perspective and level. And that's really, really important. In fact, a fundamental part of leadership today, in today's competitive environments, centers not on our our technical and technocratic skill. The work we do in my organization, for instance, really helps large organizations, massive, the likes of the Institute of Chartered Accountants, um, um, develop young people, and people generally with the leadership skills. And not the technical stuff you go to school to learn, but this thing we're talking about, this emotional intelligence, this, 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 this ability to understand what's happening around you without necessarily people having said something. Do I need to be a leader? Do I need to be in a position of authority um, in order to be able to, to tap into my EQ? Um, no. Because you don't need to be... So because we're talking about meeting people on their yeah, levels and yeah, that. And yeah. immediately it talks about, you know... Um, There's a hierarchy. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. So, so look, everybody, everybody is a leader. I mean, that's why the, that's why the concept of self-leadership exists. Everybody is a leader. That's, that's important. But what, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessitate that we talk about hierarchies. It does necessitate that we understand, which is another important, very important element in emotional intelligence, uh, what we call cultural awareness. So, so if, if you're coming from a particular perspective, and we've seen some examples of it in this country where you've had uh, schools that have kicked out certain young people because they dress a certain way because it's in keeping with their religion. They're saying, we've got a tradition that we keep up to in the school, and the young lady says, but I come from a particular culture, a particular perspective, and it's important that you understand that. And it's, 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 it's manifested itself in so many other ways. I was uh, chatting to one of the CEOs of the Big Four the other day who said to me, there was a young man who left his organization a great young man who did qualified as a CA, left his organization, and years later, uh, when they reconnected, and this young man was now very important and very powerful and in business working in the banking sector, said to him, so why did you leave? And he said, because I needed to go away. Uh, he's a closer young man. I needed to go away to get my business taken care of. And there wasn't a portion of leave in the, in the HR department that I could fill to take the time. And I just couldn't, I couldn't wait. I had to go. So, so wh- he resigned. So he left. So what we find in, in organizations today is it's not even just a personal thing. It's whether or not we're building businesses that are emotionally intelligent. Do we have systems in those businesses that are emotionally intelligent? But if all that fails, do we have people who dare ask the question, why do you need to take a month and a half's leave? What is going on? As opposed to, okay, so you're leaving, move on. So it's, it's, it's our ability to really put ourselves in the other person's perspective. Listen to what it is they're saying. See it the way they see it. Then step out of it. 
and make the judgment call. But how, when do I know where to draw the line, Vossi? Because unfortunately, what happens is you open, you know, um, and, and you, know, you, talk, you hear CEOs and leaders talking about this all the time, mm. that in, in opening myself up, I get so bogged down in, in, in the minute details, the little trivias that not only govern my organization, but people's lives, yes. that I don't get to run the organization anymore yes. because I'm trying so hard to connect with people emotionally. I yes. don't need to know some of this stuff. Do yes. I? Yes. Well, well, I think it's, it's, it's around the type of leader you want to become. So if you want to become the now celebrated Margaret Thatcherish type of uh, dictatorial leader, then no, you don't. Celebrated is questionable. Well, celebrated in certain <laughs> parts of the world. Sitting, yeah. I say that because I was watching Sky, and, and so they, they have a particularly jaded perspective. Absolutely. So, So... If, you're, if you want to become that kind of autocratic leader, then no, you don't. But if you do want to become the leader, that long after you've left, people speak about mm-hmm. your having been there. And let's just make a, a quick point, a very, very quick point. You don't need to be soft for people to like you. People not, don't necessarily like soft. So what you've got to be is you've got to be tough and assertive in results, but tender-hearted and understanding people. It doesn't mean I'm going to create leniencies and I'm going to let you get away with stuff. You're still going to be expected to deliver what I expect you to deliver. That's a part of being emotionally intelligent. I've got shareholders to whom I must, I must deliver results, and my, my, my role necessitates that I do that. But it doesn't mean we do it in a way that, that, that belittles who you are and where you're coming from and makes you feel as if uh, certain parts of you are not being listened to in the business. We're talking to Vusi Tembegwayo, motivational speaker about personal branding and emotional intelligence on our talk shop. And uh, we're also touching on the cultural awareness element of it. A lot of companies will draw up programs you mm. know, um, for, for, for ways to bridge this cultural divide yes. in order to create a, uh, our corporate culture, yes. you know, what our business stands for and yes. that kind of thing. Yes. And we'll go away for the day and we'll hit drums <laughs> and we'll stomp <laughs> grapes and make wine and then we come back to work and it's business as usual. Yes. How do we maintain this cultural reaching across? Yeah, How I mean, do we maintain this, this, this emotional awareness that we've opened up yeah. in our interactions on a personal level? Well, I think a part of the first problem many businesses face, and certainly we see it in the work we do, is that they do it at a superficial level. So if you're, if you're, if you're going away uh, and you're running around and jumping hoops and shooting each other at paintball, and, and that's not in any way br- building and bridging any cultural divide. Uh, a, a, an important part of doing that is, is the education process. So people can't understand that which they don't know. You can't expect me to resonate and understand something I've not been alerted of. So we, many organizations don't do that because it takes time to educate people. And then the question is, so what do I educate them on? Well, you educate them on any, on any and everything that's important in terms of their people relation. This is, this is, this is important stuff, right? But... Really what it is and what we're talking about now is, is the concept called behavioral economics. So how do you get your people to behave in a way that's going to drive the results consistent with the culture you want in the organization? There's only one way you do that is you've got to have the ability to measure it. And you can measure it in several ways. So there's actually ways you can measure whether or not people are building cordial relationships in the business. Um, there's ways you can, bu- you, you can measure the team effectiveness in organizations. Because another important part of, of, of cultural awareness in businesses is that conflict is not necessarily bad. In fact, it's an important important part of building teams that thrive. You know, we, we have the model around forming, norming, storming, and then performing. Mm-hmm. So it's important uh, to have those elements of, of, of conflict in, 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 in your teams and in your organizations. But if you're building teams that are, that are attuned um, and have 
uh, an understanding of the temperature of the room outside themselves, an emotional intelligence of other people. It doesn't necessarily mean they let other people walk over them. It doesn't even mean that they agree. It simply means they understand the perspective from which you, you're making your observation or your point or where you're coming from or the, the reason you're making that request. It's not just informed by my superficial understanding of you, but that I understand you. Who needs to be able, who needs to be making the first move in ensuring that I, as a leader of this particular organization, am educated? Is it about me doing the research, doing the work that will open me up to the realities of my staff? Or is it about my staff coming forward and saying, Bona, I wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning mm. and I light a fire mm. and uh, I put water on so that mm. my children can bathe mm. and they can have bread and, and, and tea to go to school mm. and then I start getting ready and I mm. leave them in the house because school only starts at 8 and I leave at 5 mm. to get here. Uh, who, who needs to be making these, uh, these first moves that well, will have us understanding and, and being educated about where we are. Well, uh, there, there can be no denying that those in, in positions of power and authority are the, are the people who, who, who's, on whose responsibility that squarely lies. And I'll tell you why. Uh, and, and it's easy to say, no, 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 it must have a bottom-up approach and people at the bottom must speak up. The reason it's the people at authority who must do that is because they drive the agenda of the business. Mm-hmm. And these kind of things are not successfully implemented in organizations if they're not a part of the agenda of the business. If it's not a part of the agenda of the business for us to be uh, socially attuned and emotionally attuned to what's happening to our people in our organization. And this is a great competitive strategy. I mean, this morning I was with an organization that understands its customers intimately. They know if a customer is coming from a certain part of the rural area, it's going to cost them three taxis. The taxis can't go in. They need to take buckets because it's a rural area. That They need to wake up at half past five to go shopping because the, 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 all, the, all the buckies leave at that time. And, and So understanding that and being attuned to it is actually a great competitive advantage. It's a huge competitive advantage in business today. That's why it's become such a big buzzword, mm-hmm. because you can compete and on that as a lever. Mm-hmm. The ability to walk into a room and understand who am I talking to here, and and where am I fitting in terms of how they seeing me and how I'm seeing them, and where are they coming from when they make the comments that they make. So, I'll give an example, and I can't disclose who they are because I'm, I'm you know, we, we're bound by confidentiality. Mm-hmm. But we're currently doing some work with a wine estate, the very Afrikaans culture, run by two Afrikaans brothers. Uh, great business, uh, very well run hugely successful but they're battling with exactly this concept so they have younger people who come into the organization of color who are coming from the Joburgs or Vos who are educated and speak the Queen's English they're coming into this culture and it's completely different people are speaking a different language and, and then it, it, what, what do we do in South Africa with most things is we then reduce it to its lowest common denominator which is well it's a race issue so it's no well I'm black you are white I can't work here as opposed to but it, it, has this person taken the time to understand you and understand where you're coming from understand uh, what you're about, understand what it is that impedes you, what drives you, understand what it is that's important to you in your life, and how have they used that in building a relationship with you? How, 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 how emotionally intelligent and culturally intelligent are they of you and the, and the environment within which they work? Great pleasure talking to you, sir. Thank you so, so much for coming through. You are amazing. We look forward to getting you back in here again. Visit Mbewayo, motivational speaker, talking to us about personal branding and emotional intelligence. And no, James, I've got a posting on our Facebook page from uh, James McLong saying, do I need to be in a corporate or have a business to build a personal brand? No, 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 as Vosa has said. <laughs> it's about 
what legacy you want to leave behind and who you interact with and who you want to leave that legacy to. That is what personal branding is all about. Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. But I've, I've been wanting this for years, so thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And an Easter I'm a big boy. Fan. I, li- I, I love people from the Easter end. Yeah, I'm yeah. a Benoni boy. What yeah, welcome, welcome. <laughs> it's wonderful to have you. Yeah, I'm Kaya from Katahong, that side. Oh, yes. Lovely. Yes. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you thank very, you very much. Busa motivational speaker, talking about personal branding and emotional intelligence, that cultural awareness, he says. When we come back, it's Relationship Corner, and we're talking to Tamarin Epstein, educational psychologist at Psych Matters Family Therapy Center. And tonight we're looking at the harmful effects of uh, harmful discipline. And what causes or what is harmful discipline? How do I know that the discipline that I'm instilling, whether it's uh, locking up my child or hitting them, beating them up, is harmful? This is how I grew up. And look at me. I'm absolutely great. So how is this harmful? We're looking at this with Tamarin in a short while.